Welcome again, everybody. Um, I believe that all of us, no matter how old we get, um, no matter how many responsibilities we eventually get, no matter how many bills we eventually end up paying, uh, no matter how mature we are, that all of us, every once in a while, that inner kid that all of us have comes out. No matter how old you are, every once in a while, it, something makes it come out. Maybe you watch a movie that reminds you of your childhood and all of a sudden you start to feel like that kid again. You do an activity or you listen to a song. I know for me, the other day, I watched The Sandlot with my kids. And man, they didn't love it as much as I did, but man, it brought out, well, uh, man, it was, I love that movie. So still, to this day, it holds up just like it did when I was in fifth grade, I think, when it came out. Um, yeah, that movie's awesome. I remember watching that the other day. Um, we're both, uh, our kids and myself are excited for Space Jam 2, because Space Jam was my jam back in the day. Um, anyways, um, on HBO Max, uh, Batman the Animated Series just came out on that, and as a kid, that's all I watched was Batman the Animated Series, so I'm watching that with my kids. Uh, they're still very scared of the Joker, um, but man, they love it. And the other day, uh, Erica had a great plan to go outside and go sledding at night. So we had our Christmas tree. We we're like, let's, let's burn this Christmas tree because we had to do something with it. So we got our fire pit. We put the Christmas tree in there. We lit it. And um, you know those wildfires that happened in California not that long ago because that, those couples that just like accidentally did that? I know how they feel now because that sucker went so high. I was like, this, this tree above is going to catch on fire the whole woods. And Erica's plan was to go inside and get a cup of water in case the trees caught on fire. It was snowing, number one, so there was snow everywhere, and that cup of water was not going to do anything about it. Um, but yeah, we went sledding that night, because um, right by our house, we have a nice little sledding hill. It's perfect. Um, and it just brought back those childhood memories of myself, my brother, and, and uh, my, my sister, we later, and other people sledding down that hill. It was awesome. Sometimes we do things that no matter how old we get, no matter how far away from childhood we become, our inner child just kind of comes out. It's, it's right there and eventually just comes out for a lot of us. In Matthew 18, um, hopefully you have been reading the book of Matthew with us. If you have not or if you have and you stopped and you uh, miss a couple days, I encourage you to continue to read with us. We are not going to be able to Bible reading plan next month, so you have some time um, to continue to read. If you want the plan, there is a plan back there. Um, but I encourage you to not try to pile up a bunch of days in a row because then it gets overwhelming. If you miss a couple days and you were, you were doing it and you're like three or four days behind, then just read tomorrow's or read today's today and just just go one at a time. Don't worry about trying to catch up all the time. It gets overwhelming. But if you have been reading Matthew, you've already read Matthew chapter 18. But in Matthew chapter 18, the disciples, they have an argument that they want Jesus for them. And Jesus, instead of settling it for them, uh, brings them back to their, their inner childhood. And here's how it starts in uh, Matthew 18. We're going to start in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, your Bible apps, uh, you can open up. Or if you're at home, grab your Bible. Matthew 18, starting in verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is such a human argument, isn't it? Like they're debating who's the best out of all of them. And, and when they get to the end, who will be considered the best out of all of them? Who will be the most important? Uh, that's, a, that's an argument that us humans have a lot. We want to know who's the best. We want to know who's favored the most. And these disciples are no different. I can just imagine, imagine them like, 
when they're not with Jesus, when Jesus is off doing something else, they're just bickering like, hey, who do you think's the best? I think I'm probably the best. Or do you think you're the best? I can just imagine this happening. We see this in other gospels as well. In Luke chapter 9, we see them fighting amongst themselves over who is the greatest. I could just see Peter going, no, guys, listen, Jesus changed my name from Simon to Peter. Went from Simon, and he started calling me the rock. I am for sure the greatest because I am the rock. So come on. I'm, I'm the best. I can see John going, no, 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 John, no, no. I, Jesus calls me the beloved. That's what he calls me. I'm for sure the greatest. I can see Simon the zealot starting to speak up. Everyone's like, calm down, Simon. No one even knows who you are. Like, you are not the greatest, okay? The disciples, they're starting to think politically. That's what they're thinking. They're thinking politically back to how they grew up. Their understanding of the Messiah was that he would come and he would establish his kingdom immediately. They didn't think about the kingdom one day it was going to come. They were like, no, no, he's here now. This guy, Jesus the Messiah, he's going to establish his kingdom like in a couple of years. I want to be at the table right next to him. So Jesus, who is the greatest among us? Who is the greatest in the kingdom? So Jesus, instead of answering their question, gives a little illustration in verse 2. He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Jesus could have given them an answer probably, right? I mean, he's the son of God. He probably could have tallied their sins, past, present, future, okay? And Peter, you're the best one. That's why you're going to be the first pope. He could have done that if he really wanted to. But he doesn't do that. And you know why? The fact that they're even asking this question shows that they're missing the point. The fact that they are even wondering and curious about this. So while they are debating on who is the best out of all of them, Jesus calls a little child over, and he walks in and says, hey, you see this little kid? This is how you need to be. You should be like him. In order to follow the kingdom of God, you have to be humble like a child. And humility requires childlike faith. Humility requires childlike faith. If you are a disciple, you have to be so disappointed at this because you wanted an answer. You want to be considered the best. You've been working really hard, and you think the kingdom's coming one day, and especially as disciples, kids were property. Kids were as low as possible. Kids were nothing special. Kids did not have any value, and now Jesus, their Messiah, is saying, hey, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then uh, you have to be like him, the lowest. You have to be humble like him. You have to have humility like him. Don't worry about your pride getting you at the table. Instead, you need to put yourself down and be as humble as a child. Humility requires childlike faith. So what does childlike faith look like? I'm going to give you four really quick ways. Here's some descriptions of children that we can use when it comes to our faith. Children are simple, number one. Children are simple. What they say is what they mean. Especially the younger they are, if they say something to you, they truly mean it. They mean exactly what they say. The other day, I was with Brooklyn, and um, I was um, putting them to bed. I, I put Samantha down, then I got up to Brooklyn's bed. I was kind of laying there talking to her, and she goes, Oh, Dad, your breath stinks. <laughs> she wasn't trying to hurt my feelings. She just had to be honest. Your breath stank. That's what she, she had to tell me. And I, it really hurt. You know why? Because it did. She would not say that unless she meant it. She doesn't really understand how to manipulate and how to lie and that stuff. She, if she's going to say it, she truly means it. Kids are simple. They mean what they say. And here's what, here's what else I found out with my kids. They, they don't need a lot of stuff. They want a lot of stuff. They, can't, they always want more Barbies and more toys. They always want a lot of stuff, but they don't need a lot of stuff to be happy. They're pretty simple. 
go outside and play in the yard. And the other day, they were outside with sticks playing until mom saw it and said, you should not be playing with sticks. And dad was out there not worrying about it. So they were outside for an hour. They didn't care. Um, they play Floors Lava. I don't know if your kids play Floors Lava um, or if you as a kid played it, but it's real easy. You just, the floor is lava. You don't touch it. So you jump around everything else. That requires no toys. It just requires furniture and pillows. And they would play that for hours. Their, their favorite game to play, which wears me out, is we call it the Thanos game. So I'm a superhero guy. You guys know that. You're annoyed with me telling you that. I get it. But um, in, the, in this game, I am the bad guy Thanos. And if I snap my fingers, then they go, I don't want to spoil anything in Infinity War. But anyways, um, <laughs> so they're, they are superheroes. And what we do is we get on the bed, and I act like I'm the bad guy. And I take them and throw them off the bed. We put pillows around so everyone calm down. But that's, and we'll play it for hours. They'll play it as long as I play it is basically what it is. It always ends with me going, Daddy's really tired because I'm old. Okay, please, can we stop? And then they tackle me. It's, they love it. They don't need a lot of stuff. The older they get, the more that they need because the easier they get bored. They, they need to be entertained more the older they get. They, they need to do that. But they are simple. Kids are simple. What if we went back to just simple? See, here it is simply. Here's what our faith is simply. God loves us. God created us. Jesus died for us. We should worship him because he died for us. That's as simple as we can put it. That's what the season of Lent is. We're celebrating that. But yet we start thinking about, okay, but yeah, but how was the world actually created? Was it six days or was it evolution or was it each day a thousand years? Like how does that actually work? Or we say, oh, yeah, but what, is, what does the book of Revelation mean? You need to explain that to me. I get, we should learn our theology. We should understand theology. And I believe the more we learn about God and who he is and his character and how this world works, we're going to know more about God. I get all that. But for some of us, we are allowing our learning to take us away from that simple truth that he is the one who conquered the grave. That simple truth. We're so busy arguing about who's the greatest in the kingdom or predestination or creation or Calvinism or denominations and we get to a point where we do not, we are moving away from that simple truth. And God, instead of us demanding an answer, is going to respond with um, an acronym. I don't know if you know this acronym. It's called KISS. You guys know what the acronym stands for? Keep it simple, stupid. That, that's the acronym. This, here's, where the, here's where this came from. This principle states that most systems work best if they are kept simple rather than complicated. Jesus, he did the same thing. The Pharisees went to him and said, hey, out of all the laws, which is like 600 some laws, what's the best one out of all of them? He goes, just keep it simple, stupid, okay? It's love God, love others. Do those two things, you're fine, okay? Love God, love others, okay? Relax. Keep it simple. So, yeah, yeah but, what, but what about this note? Keep it simple. God loves you. He sent his son for you. He died for you. And he came back to life to prove that he paid the price. Keep it simple. Yes, we need to learn and grow, but kids are simple. Sometimes we make our faith just way too complicated. Keep it simple, just like a child. Number two, children ask honest questions. They ask honest questions. There's this belief that having childlike faith means that we don't ask questions. In fact, when I was um, preparing for this, I was looking at like quotes on asking questions of childlike faith, and um, one of the quotes I said, I found said, God, give me the faith of a little child who trusts without questioning. I don't know what kids they're around, but my kids only ask questions. They ask questions constantly, always asking questions. Kids ask questions all the time. Adults, we ask questions, but we don't ask questions the same reason kids do. As adults, sometimes we're trying to learn. That's why we ask questions. But sometimes uh, we're trying to impress you with our question. We don't actually care about your response. We just want to act like, well, you see, if you ever start with you see, you're trying to impress. You see, well, here's, I have a question for you. We always ask it like that. 
and we're trying to impress them. Sometimes we're, we're asking questions because we're actually trying to criticize you. I mean, actually have a question. Like, I'm just curious why you do it that way, because I would never do it that way. Why would you do that there? Why would you put that there? I mean, it's great, if it, but why would you do that, implying I would never do that, so you're wrong. We try to criticize people with our questions sometimes as adults. Uh, we try to make people feel dumb with our questions as adults, or we try to win an argument with a question. Well, okay, if that's true, then answer this question for you. We have so many reasons we ask questions as adults. You know why kids ask questions? They want to know the answer. It's that simple. They ask a question, they don't know something, so they ask you because they want to know the answer. I am uh, terrible with outer space stuff. I'm terrified of outer space for some reason. Um, even though uh, Elon Musk said we're going to Mars in 20 years, so be ready. Um, not all of us, just like the really rich people. But the, we're going to get there. But I was thinking, I'm never going because I'm terrified of outer space. Like the idea of floating and nothingness, it just terrifies me. But, and I don't also like, because I'm, I'm scared of outer space and I don't care about it, um, I don't know anything about outer space. I don't know anything about how the moon works. I don't know anything about stars. I don't know anything. Ask Erica. I've asked her questions before, and she looked at me like, that's really your question? Like my second graders know that answer. How do you not know that? <laughs> but every once in a while, my kids will ask me questions about a space and about the moon. So they'll say, say things like, hey, what's the moon made out of? And I always give them an answer because I need them to think that I'm smart. And I, so I say, ah, uh, rocks? Is it? I don't know. I still don't know. I never looked it up. Uh, rocks? Is it made out of rocks? Oh, okay. Well, why is the moon a moon and not a planet? And I was like, uh, it's too small? <laughs> That's not right, right? I don't know. Uh, it's too small? I don't know. And then um, they ask, okay, how come we can see like the moon during the day sometimes. I was like, it's something with like how it spins around the earth. I don't know, something like that. Then they said, hey, why do the moon, like my brother just nailed me with questions. Why does it have like different shapes and what are their shapes called? And at that point, I said, hey, you need to stop asking questions, <laughs> which is a parent way of saying, I don't know this answer, so stop asking, okay? You know why they ask me those questions? They have complete trust that I will give them an answer. They trust that I know the answer and that I will give them the answer. They are able to ask me honest and open questions because they are only thinking of the person providing the answer. Do we approach God with that same belief that if we were to send him our question, to give him our questions, and we approach him with our questions that we have in our mind, we have the conclusion that he knows the answers and he can give us the answers. Do we have that same belief so that we can ask honest questions, not to trick God, not to get what we want out of God, but simply because we want to know the answer? Do we do that? Children do that. Children ask honest questions. Children are also helpless. If you have a kid under five, you know this. If you left them at home, they would not survive without you. They absolutely need a parent or a guardian of some sort. They would never survive. They don't know how to make their own food. They don't even know how to get their own food, let alone all the other stuff you do. They can't even comprehend. They don't comprehend how we pay the bills for them. They don't comprehend how we have to work in order to pay for the mortgage and the, how the electric bill works and how, how the well system, whatever. They don't comprehend any of, the, any of that stuff. If we left them alone, they would not survive. They are completely helpless. They have no resources to help themselves. They, they don't even realize what it takes to keep them alive and to survive. Your kids do not realize everything you do, but without you, there's no chance. There's no chance of survival for them. You are also helpless to save yourself. The standard that God requires is perfection. So if we've ever messed up, we cannot reach it. No matter how good you are, there's no good that's good enough to be in the presence of a holy, perfect God. All of us have fallen short, so all of us cannot help ourselves. We are all 
helpless. It is important for us to understand what we are helpless about and that fact that we are helpless. In this season of Lent, like, like Michelle talked about, this is a great season to remind ourselves of that, of our state without Christ. It's a great time to remember His death and His resurrection and what it did for us because we have to understand where we come from first so that we can truly understand and, and appreciate the grace and the hope that we have because of our helplessness. You cannot accept His grace unless you understand that you are helpless first. And because children are helpless, number four, children are also dependent. They're dependent. Because they are helpless, they are fully dependent on you. I mean, you've seen the movie Big Daddy, right? Like, if you were try to, if you've ever seen Big Daddy, Adam Sandler, what's the kid's name? They call him Frankenstein because they let him pick his own name. I can't remember his name. Anyways, Adam Sandler guy and the kid, um, in that movie, uh, he, he has this new kid that, that's not his, um, something with a adoption or foster, so I can't remember exactly what it was. It's been a while. Um, I should have maybe reviewed this before I started talking to you about Big Daddy, a movie that I obviously don't know enough about. Um, so he, had, he has this kid, and he get, tells him, hey, you can do whatever you want. Like, don't, anything you want to do, the answer is always yes. You want to stay up all night? Sure. You want to eat pancakes all the time and candy? Sure. Go ahead. You want to change your name to Frankenstein? Sure. Go ahead. And eventually, over time, Adam Sandler character realizes, oh, there has to be some kind of like I have to help him with some things. You can't rely on solely what he is going to do because he will make terrible decisions. My kids do not know what is best for them. They simply don't. Most of the time, they do not know. They're dependent on me to make sure that they are taken care of properly. If it wasn't for me, they would eat nothing but candy. That's all they would eat. If it wasn't for me, they would never do their schoolwork or their homework. If it wasn't for me, they would watch TV all day. If it wasn't for me, they'd play in the street. They play in the woods and might not ever be able to make it back home. They wouldn't know where to be. If it wasn't for me, they are fully dependent on myself and on Erica. Your kids are dependent on you. When you were kids, you were dependent on whoever taught you, your parents or your guardians. They don't understand why I say no. They don't understand why I make them eat their vegetables every night. They don't understand because their maturity and their capacity to understand is not at a level that it will be able to understand. They're not mature enough to understand it. Do you have the humble understanding that you cannot comprehend God's understanding? Do you? Are you able to trust in God even when His answers are beyond your capacity to understand? Because this is the faith God calls us to have. Jesus continues in verse 6, if anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Jesus ain't playing here. That's pretty aggressive. See, the Roman government would use a millstone, and what that was, it was this huge rock that was attached to um, a bar that donkeys would pull, and it would crush the grain or any nuts that were around, so that way they could use it. They would take this millstone, and as a way to uh, do terrible corporal punishment, they would tie it on somebody and throw them into the river. Think of like tying cement blocks on somebody, throwing them in water, they'll eventually drown. That's what they would do as corporal punishment the Roman government would. Jesus says, you cause one of these little ones to stumble, it's better for you that that would happen to you. That's pretty aggressive. And he says little ones, he's not talking about children here. He is talking about those who have the humility of children, the humility of childlike faith. The transformation Jesus wants to do in you is not to increase you. It's the opposite. The transformation Jesus wants to do in you changes you from the greatest and the most important, which is what you think you are, to the least, to the humble. 
to serving others. It changes you from being exalted to being humble. That's how Jesus transforms you. That's what he does. And you cannot love God and hurt his children. It's not possible. You cannot say, I love God, but yet I'm going to hurt all of his children around. Hurting God's children is the same as hurting God. I think of uh, some of my friends. I have a buddy of mine. Um, we call him Schoons, his last name. And he is amazing with my kids. Every time he comes over, he has a present for them. He always, anytime we're like going to hang out with him, he's always like, hey, you bringing the kids? I'm like, no, I, we, we would like to have adult time right now. We don't want to hang out with the kids all the time. He's like, oh, come on. Why don't you bring the kids? He always to hang out with the kids. Every time he's around, he's more with them than he's hanging out with us. My kids love him because they, they, he puts them first. He loves them. Then I have other friends who don't dislike my kids, but they say comments like, man, it's loud in here. Or man, it would be great if these kids weren't here. I've had people say that. And that's not like loving to me. You know what that is? That hurts me because they're my kids. You can't say you love me and then hurt my kids. It's not possible. When you lead others to sin, you're hurting them. The Greek word for sin is scandalizo, which means scandalize, cause a fall, entrap, entice, influence. When you lead others to sin, you're hurting them. And when you hurt them, you hurt God. When Saul is walking on the road to Damascus, the resurrected Jesus comes and, and sees him, and Paul is walking from one city to another about to go persecute some more followers of this movement called the Way, to persecute people that are following Jesus. And when Jesus sees Saul on that road, he didn't say, hey, why are you persecuting them? He says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Because if you hurt them, you're hurting me. Do we see other people the way God sees other people? And do we understand how serious it is? This is what Jesus says in verse 7. Woe to the world because of the, of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. So Jesus uses the word woe here two different times. The first one is more of like a cry of pity to the offenses. The second woe, that's a warning. That's a warning to us. You see, we live in a falling world, which means offenses and hurt and pain, it's going to come. But to those of us that cause it to come, that influence people to sin, that influence people and hurt other people, you're guilty. Woe to you. We should take this seriously because sin is serious. How serious is it? This is how serious it is. This is what Jesus says in verse 8. If your hand or your foot cause you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. Jeez. It is better for you to cut your hand off than to lead other people to sin. That's how sin, that's how serious sin is. When you understand the seriousness of sin, the damage it does to people and to the people around you, to, the, to you, when you understand that, then you will not just try to avoid it. I hope I don't do it. I hope I just don't do that. No, you will sacrifice to prevent it. But sacrifice requires childlike faith. You can't sacrifice without childlike faith. Sacrifice requires childlike faith. That is why we are encouraging people during this season of Lent to sacrifice, to fast, to, to do something and, or to stop doing something that you could do, that is you're, you are allowed to, you're welcome to do it, but we're asking you to stop just for a week. We're going to change it every single week. 
And here's what always happens whenever we do this. I get things like this. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Well, here's how I say. If we do something that you think, I don't know if I can do that, you absolutely should do it. Okay? We're doing social media one week. If that seems impossible to you, you maybe shouldn't have social media at all. Okay? We should be able to sacrifice for a week. What we're doing is we are sacrificing for God the way that he sacrificed everything for us. For a week, we're saying, you know what? I'm going to purposely sacrifice so that I can honor you in this season where we, where we celebrate how you sacrifice everything. Because sacrifice requires childlike faith. It is an intentional and deliberate way for us to sacrifice in order to stay obedient. That's why we encourage you to do spiritual disciplines. That's why we encourage you to spend time daily with God. Because you are sacrificing some of your time so that you can renew your soul. We think it's worth the sacrifice. That's why we tell you to create guardrails in your habits. To find those things that you're not at sin yet. But you're going to say, for me, I'm not going to do this. So that way I never get to this area of sin. I'm not going to watch these movies. I'm not going to listen to whatever this is. I'm not going to eat or drink this. I'm not going to do this for me. It's not a sin for everybody else, but for me, I'm not going to do that. That's you sacrificing some content or some habits that you could do, but you're sacrificing it so that you can keep your mind pure, so you don't fall into the trap of sin. That's why we encourage you to tithe and to give. That is you sacrificing your resources to prevent greed in your heart, to prevent it. And on my phone, um, I have blockers on my phone. There are certain websites I cannot go to. It prevents me from looking at anything I shouldn't look at. And at times, it's, it stinks because there's some sites I can go to that, aren't, that are completely fine, but I have to put it Only Erica knows. I don't even know the code. The other day, I, I, had to, I moved my phone from a 11 to a 12, and I had to like disable Oh, what's your code here? I was like, I don't know. I have to call my wife to find out that code. I don't know it. So I had to call her, and she had to put the code in. The reason why I do that is so I can sacrifice a couple of websites or some freedom that I, that I have so that I can prevent myself from falling into any trap. Sacrifice. Sacrifice requires childlike faith. R.C. Uh, Sproul says it this way, not until we take God seriously will we ever take sin seriously. We should take sin seriously. Sin is the reason God had to sacrifice his son. It leads us down a path to destruction. That is why God says to you, woe to you who causes anyone to sin. We need to learn the damages and the effects of sin and the dangers of sin, especially the dangers of leading other people to sin. So God at times, I believe, will turn us over to our own sin so we can understand the effects. And I've been that person. I've been that person that God has said, woe to you. You're causing people to sin. I have been that person that through my sin, through what I've done, other people have sinned. And because of it, I have been found guilty. And I believe the way God deals with the guilt of me at times is he allows us and myself to suffer the consequences of what I've done wrong, but praise God that I do not have to suffer these consequences eternally. That's what season of Lent is. That is what Easter is, sending his son for you. The good news is that no matter what you have done, Jesus is always reaching out to you. That is why, after talking about sin, childlike faith, he gives this parable right after this that I believe directly tells us something important that we need to understand. In verse 12, Jesus says this, What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep, one of them wanders away. Will he not leave 
the 99 on the hills, and go to look for the one that wandered off. And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. You notice the love that the shepherd has for the sheep. The shepherd is willing to leave the majority. He's willing to leave the ones that are safe and sound, the ones that are following him, the ones that are obedient, the ones that were listening. He's willing to leave the 99 to find the one, the one that wandered off. And when that shepherd finds the one, he isn't angry about it. He didn't say, hey, you shouldn't have done that. Don't run away. No, it says he has joy. He's filled with joy and happiness because that one who was lost is now found. That is God's love for us. It's an individual love. It's a patient love. It is a seeking love. It is a rejoicing love. It is a protecting love. That is how much, that is how important Jesus puts, Jesus thinks of us as the individuals. Individual love, what we're called to have, requires childlike faith. To be able to look at individuals the way that Jesus looks at them. Not mad at the one who ran off, says, if that one's gone, I got to do whatever it takes to get him back. That's what we're called to have. So if you are that one that's wandered off, Jesus is looking for you. He's there. He's willing to bring you back. And when he finds you, he will celebrate, be overjoyed when you turn back to him. But if you're the 99, notice the importance on the one. Notice the importance on your humility. Notice that it's not about you right now. It's about finding that one. That is the love that we should have. If you are going to love the individual, you're going to need childlike faith. You're going to need to trust that God is in control. You're going to need to understand who you are, helpless without him. Understand that you are dependent on the shepherd. Understand that you are called to love. That you take God seriously, and because of that, you take sin seriously. You follow God not because you have to, but because you have the privilege and honor to. Because you are humble enough to realize that you need him. That's what we're called to do.